Well, this morning, the scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 2. We're reading verses 1 to 3, and then verses 36 to 49. This is the reading of God's word. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. The king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and they said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. This was a dream. Now in verse 36, now we will tell the kings its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it will break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days, kings, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of gods, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And the king gave Daniel high honors and great many gifts, made him ruler of the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this morning that we could come before your word. We can be connected to each other. And we know that however far apart we are, we know that in Christ we are one, regardless of where we are. And I pray, God, that your spirit will minister to us through your word. Speak, speak. And I pray that it would be a balm to our soul that will lead us and usher us into your presence to live more fully and faithfully as your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, during this time, uh, I want to speak to us this morning about this issue of anxiety. Uh, anxiety, even before this pandemic, was a huge crisis. 
And even before this pandemic hit, many people have said that we live in an age of anxiety. There is a skyrocketing amount of research that says that anxiety is on the rise, especially amongst younger people. It's a crisis. We see this in the rates of people taking antidepressants. The anxiety, especially starting in childhood, that we are seeing. And after this pandemic hit, of course, now it's a full-blown crisis. So many people are anxious during this period. I feel that anxiety myself every time I read the news headlines of the percentage of people getting sick, of the future, the uncertainty that the future holds. Many of you at home might feel anxious about the state of your, your work, about the safety of your children. Anxiety is all around us. Today we're going to look at this man who was overwhelmed with anxiety. Uh, he, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And though he was powerful and wealthy, he is feeling the sense of dread. He has these nightmares that he cannot shake. In many ways, King Nebuchadnezzar is a reflection of, of all of us struggling with anxiety, fearful of the future. But today, I want to I also look at this man named Daniel. Daniel, he lived counterculturally, and he lived apart, and especially from this age of anxiety. Daniel was a model of faith. He was a man of wisdom, a man of vision, a man of witness. And we see in Daniel another way to live. And that is with a sense of peace, which uh, causes everyone around him to flourish. Today, as we look at Daniel 2, we're going to look at this theme of anxiety. We're going to look at three ideas. One is the problem of anxiety. Secondly, how we can overcome it. And thirdly, how we can turn from anxiety to peace. And the first thing that we want to look at is this problem of anxiety. Last week, we started looking at the story of Daniel. And Daniel as we said last week, was deported from his whole home country. He was renamed along with three of his friends. He was trained in Babylonian culture and wisdom. But we said last week that Daniel stood apart from that in many ways. Uh, Daniel decided uh, without telling very many people that he was going to abstain from the king's food. He was going to be set apart for God, that God was going to be his strength God was going to be his salvation. And we see that Daniel, he grows strong along with his three friends, strong in spirit, strong in wisdom. And here in this chapter, we see why he needs all of that. Daniel is put to a test. In chapter two, we read about a very troubled king. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what it says in the first verse. In the second year, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and sleep left him. Now, one of the first signs of anxiety is insomnia. You cannot sleep. That's what has happened in Nebuchadnezzar. He's anxious, and the first sign of it is that he has trouble sleeping. He's tossing, he's turning. In addition to that, he has a nightmare. He has a nightmare, and he has these troubling dreams, which he takes as a sign that something is amiss, something is wrong. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most powerful man in the world. Uh, he had all the authority, all kinds of power and riches, and yet he's still anxious. A lot of you might think, well, you know, if I had just had a little bit of more money, if I had stability in my workplace, if I had some sense of certainty about the future, 
I would not be anxious. But look at Nebuchadnezzar. He has all of that. He has all the wealth and all the authority and all the stability, and yet he's still anxious. Anxiety is something that hits all of us, especially people with responsibilities. Shakespeare once said, heavy is the Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. The theologian Becky Small said, more money, more problems. You know, if Shakespeare and Biggie agree on something, it's probably true. There's something, probably something to that. And that idea is that the more you have, the more you have to lose. That anxiety inordinately affects people with, uh, with power, with uh, money, with responsibility. And the more that you have it, the more anxious you could become. Anxiety is something that, that uh, spans different classes and different people. And we see it affects Nebuchadnezzar. But secondly, here's the thing about anxiety. Anxiety, not only does it affect everyone, but anxiety is something that infects everyone else around you. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. What happens with Nebuchadnezzar's anxiety? It says, because he's anxious, he calls all of his wise men, his researchers, uh, his assistants, and he gathers them all in this meeting. And what does he say to them? In verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb to limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. King Nebuchadnezzar he gathers all of his people, and what does he do? He essentially threatens them. He says, if you don't tell me this dream and what it means, I'm going to kill all of you, all of my wise men's and advisors. And not only that, I'm going to destroy your house, your legacy, your family. All of that's going to be wiped out. Imagine the anxiety that that produced in all of these wise men, these researchers, uh, these people who were supposed to advise the king, it their anxiety must have went through the roof. And that's the thing with anxiety. Anxiety is something that when we have it, we're going to pass it on to other people. Anxiety is something Nebuchadnezzar gave to all the people around him, all of the, the people on his staff, and it affected all of them. This last week, Kate Julian wrote a piece for the Atlantic called Childhood in an Anxious Age. And in it, she interviews hundreds of researchers, scientists, uh, psychologists, and she's trying to get to the bottom of why is anxiety rising amongst children? And this is one of her conclusions. This is what she writes. To an even greater extent, anxiety travels in families because it is contagious. From spouse to spouse, from child to parent, especially from parent to child, more than half of children who live with an anxious parent end up meeting the criteria for an anxiety disorder themselves. Kate Julian says that one of the reasons why children are so anxious is because they have anxious parents. And these anxious parents are passing on their anxiety to their kids. And that's what happens with anxiety. Anxiety is contagious. Anxiety is infectious when we have it we pass it along to our children, to our spouses, to our coworkers, to everyone around us. Anxiety is something that hits all of us. Anxiety is something that we spread to each other and to our children. 
And finally, anxiety is something that is ultimately difficult to cure. When King Nebuchadnezzar breaks it all down, he's trying to cure his anxiety, but instead he's spreading it. And he, and he tells his advisors, not only do I want you to tell me the answer, the interpretation to my dream, he also tests them. He also says in verse 4, I want you to tell me my dream. And why does he do that? And essentially, most likely, he is suspicious. King Nebuchadnezzar is wise. He knows that he's surrounded by people who are going to tell him what he wants to hear. That's not going to... That's not going to cure his anxieties. So to give them a, a test, he says, first, tell me the dream. And understandably, the advisors push back against him. This is what they say in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a, such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. These wise learned men, they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, what you're doing, no man can do. Only God can do it. Only God can cure it. And when King Nebuchadnezzar hears this, he flies into a rage. He orders the death of all of the wise men, all of his advisors in the entire kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar is upset. He flies into a fury because he realizes one thing, and that thing is no human can help him. Nothing on this earth. There's no wisdom on this earth that can cure his anxiety. People will try to give us all kinds of remedies for our anxieties, medication, psychotherapy, journaling, meditation, and some of these things can actually help us to some degree. But ultimately, none of those things can fundamentally answer the deepest suspicions and anxieties within us. We have a world of in information at our fingertips that anyone can access, but we don't have one word that can speak to our troubled hearts. And ultimately what we need is, this, that's what the wise men say, they're, they're, they suggest to Nebuchadnezzar, only God can answer the anxieties of your heart. No man on earth can do it. And that's what Daniel brings to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's how Daniel, secondly, overcomes anxiety. Let's move to our second point, this idea of how Daniel is able to overcome. Last week we looked at how Daniel lived he lived really distinct from everyone else. He set himself apart by what he ate. He wanted to remember who he was, where he came from, who gave him strength. And this week we want to see that Daniel was set apart by his fearlessness. Daniel is a man of courage. When all the wise men in the land hear that they're going to be killed, they're understandably they fall into a panic. But when Daniel hears the word, that all of them are going to be slaughtered. Instead of panicking, he plans. He tells the captain of the guard that he wants to meet with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he wants to interpret that dream for him. In Daniel 2, uh, 7 to 18, we know that Daniel, he gives them this pledge. He's making an appointment, but he actually doesn't know the interpretation right at that time. So what does he do? 
It says in verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. First thing that Daniel does is that he gets all of his friends together and he prays with them. Daniel's first instinct in crisis is prayer and community. Daniel could have said, hey, you know, I got this. I've been training for three years. I know God is with me. God has blessed me. He could have went into the king's chamber without consulting God, without meeting with his friends. But here's really the strength of Daniel. Daniel was strong because he knew he was weak. Daniel's strength came from knowing that he was weak and he needed help. He needed God's help. He needed the help of his friends. And that's what true strength is about. In Christianity, true strength comes from knowing you are weak and leaning on those who are strong. One of the things that we know about Daniel was that he was preeminently a man of prayer. We see him right here looking to God in prayer with his friends. Right after God answers him, we see him again praying a prayer of thanksgiving. In Daniel chapter 6, we learn that Daniel prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and the evening, and Daniel, later on in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, we see this rich, beautiful, long prayer. And it shows us the nature of Daniel's prayer life. We see all the varied ways that Daniel prays. Daniel prayed alone and in community. Daniel prayed systematically three times a day, but he also prayed spontaneously in times of need. Daniel prayed prayers of petition, asking God for help. But we also see Daniel praying right afterward a prayer of thanksgiving. Daniel was, for Daniel, prayer was the lifeline. It was his lifeblood. It was his instinct. And that's practically one of the ways he overcame anxiety. One application for us is during the season to vary your prayer life. Your prayer life might feel very dry right now. It might be very difficult concentrating on prayer. And I would really encourage you to mix things up and start burying your prayer life like Daniel did. If you are used to praying alone, start praying with other people. If you only pray at the, at the right before you go to sleep, start praying in the morning, in the afternoon. If you only pray spontaneously, start praying systematically. Start using things like prayer cards. Start using things like prayer journals. If you're only used to praying a certain kind of prayer, asking God for things, start praying prayers of gratitude, of thanksgiving. Start incorporating praise into your prayer life. I have a pastor friend who said that during the season he wants to, to pray uh, longer than he is on his phone. He says, for every look at my phone, I want to take a look at my king. So he tracks how much screen time he gets and he tries to mirror his prayer time with that, which makes him either pray less or uh, look at his phone less or pray more. Then in prayer, we're taking all of our anxieties that we all feel right now and we're placing it before our Lord. That's what Daniel is doing. That's one of the fundamental things about how he breaks this anxiety. 
when Daniel prays to God, that later on that evening, God reveals, God answers his prayer. He reveals King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Right after he does that, right in the, when morning breaks, well, Daniel is now ready. And he sets uh, his sights on being in the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar. And we read about what he says in verse 27. It says, And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. Notice in chapter 1, Daniel's testimony of abstaining from food is very quiet. He doesn't actually tell anyone uh, about it except uh, his lead counselor. He's very quiet about his faith. Here in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is very bold about his faith. He's going to testify really boldly about what God has done. Daniel has grown. His faith is growing. His confidence in God is growing. And it's ready for this moment. And when he comes before King Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't hold anything back. He tells Nebuchadnezzar first that none of his other advisors can answer, uh, can tell the dream or know the meaning of it. But Daniel says, it's not me. It's not me that is wise. God, the God of heaven, has revealed these things to me. Daniel's given God glory. He's given God the credit. And what Daniel does is he first tells him the dream. That's the thing none of the magicians, those wise men, can do. And the dream essentially is pretty simple. He says that there's a massive statue. Head is made of gold. The chest silver, thighs bronze, legs iron. The feet was made of clay. And he says this, there's a stone, a single stone that comes and hits the clay feet. The entire statue topples over and is destroyed. And that stone that hits it becomes a massive mountain that is strong and that, that will last forever. Daniel's, Daniel says, he gives him the interpretation. Daniel says that that head of gold is actually King Nebuchadnezzar full of power, his kingdom, strong. But he says, after you, there's going to come a subsequent kingdom that will be inferior to yours. He says, after that, there are going to be a couple other kingdoms of varying strength, but the last kingdom will be the weakest. It will be made of clay. And he says, there's going to be a stone that comes, a single stone that comes, hits the clay feet, that which is vulnerable. The entire statue will topple. And what Daniel says to the king is that these king, these kingdoms, the point is that these kingdoms will rise and fall. You know, in Daniel's time and afterwards, there were all kinds of kingdoms that came and went. There were the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans. There were all these massive empires which would come after Babylon, but they would all fall. In the history of the world, there's no empire that has ever lasted. Empires have always been conquered. They've imploded. They've diminished. None of uh, them have ever remained. Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, kings and kingdoms of this world, they're going to rise. They're going to fall. But then what? But then there's a stone 
that represents a kingdom that's enduring. It's God's kingdom. And Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar about living and realizing that there is an eternal king and a never-ending kingdom. You know, one of the reasons uh, Jesus taught us this idea when he says, your kingdom come in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is always telling us to keep our eyes on the kingdom, this kingdom of God. One of the reasons that we get so anxious in life is that we put our confidence in the wrong thing. The, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, it was this glorious, beautiful image. It was valuable and beautiful, but it had clay feet. And that statue essentially represented any idol. It's anything that we place in prime position in our life. And the problem with all of our idols, Daniel teaches us, is that they all have clay feet. They're vulnerable. They are susceptible to loss. We could lose it. The economy can crash. Someone can take it from us. And what Daniel is teaching us is that all of our idols have clay feet. And we're always going to be anxious if we have these idols in our life because we know deep inside that they're vulnerable. We could lose them. Daniel's confidence and what he's pointing us to is placing our heart and our desires and our confidence in something that will last forever. In a king and a kingdom that will never end. Imagine putting your whole life savings and putting it on a, a bet. Imagine putting all of your money and assets that you have and putting a wager on uh, the idea that the king, the, the sun will rise tomorrow. Imagine you bet someone, hey, I wager my all my assets on the idea, on the belief that the sun will rise tomorrow. And uh, if you made that wager, you could sleep at night because you know that's going to happen. If the sun doesn't rise, well, the world's over anyways. But you know in the history of the world, the sun has always risen. And so you're going to have confidence in that wager. But imagine if you wagered all of your assets that next year the Rams will win the Super Bowl. Man, you'd be anxious probably that whole year, no matter how good things are going, because that's definitely not certain. Uh, Daniel has confidence and he has peace in his life because he's wagered his whole life on something so certain, something so true, on a powerful, omnipotent king and a never-ending kingdom. And he can rest. He can have peace. He's placed his hope in something true, eternal, and everlasting. And the final question is this. How do we know if we place our life and we live for those that eternal kingdom, that it will, it's true, that it'll come through for me. And this is the last point that we want to see. And we want to see this idea of moving from anxiety to peace. Daniel, he has this confidence about him. That's why he has this boldness to come before the king. He tells the king his dream. He interprets it for him. King Nebuchadnezzar is floored by Daniel's, not only the fact he knows a dream, but what it's about. It penetrates 
to his deepest fears and his desires. In 46, in verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar, he falls to the ground. He gives God glory. He calls God, God of gods and the Lord of kings. This is the most lofty title you can ever give God. The God of gods, the king of all kings. He uh, gives Daniel praise. He promotes Daniel to the highest place. Uh, Daniel requested all of his friends come with him. They, they begin to rule with him in the king's court. What is uh, Daniel's comp confidence based on? How do we know for us that this kingdom that God is building will be never ending? And here's, uh, and I think the answer to that is found in this dream that Daniel interprets. You know, in a dream, one of the most striking features is this idea of the stone. In verse 45, Daniel says that there is a stone uh, cut from a mountain by no human hand. This was the least likely object to crush the statue. It was a single stone. And it crushes the feet of the statue. And what's interesting about the stone is that uh, the stone had enormous power, yet it was something that in contrast to all the valuable metals was worthless. What is a stone worth compared to the, to the gold or the silver or the bronze? Stone is the, has no resale value. It's worthless. If you picked up a stone, try to sell it, no one would buy it from you. In contrast, the valuable uh, gold or bronze or iron, which is useful, which has value. Second thing about the stone was that it was small. This single stone was so small compared to this massive statue. But ultimately, it's this small stone, which is not valuable, which conquers, which topples this massive statue. And that's the principle of the gospel. You know, the stone, it looks back and it looks forward. It looks back to the story of David and Goliath. David conquers the mighty warrior Goliath, not with mighty weapons of warfare, but with what? With a small stone. With a small stone, he topples giant Goliath. This, this uh, stone looks ultimately forward, not just backwards, to this person of Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus is talking about stones a lot. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus quotes Psalm 118.22. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the corner, cornerstone. Then he quotes Daniel 2, this chapter we just read, that says that everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Jesus, all throughout the Gospel, refers to himself as the stone. He says, I am the stone that builders rejected, that people thought was not valuable. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus, to many people, was powerless. Jesus died an inglorious death on the cross. He was despised. He was rejected. Jesus on the cross was taking our place, paying our debt. But after the cross, what happened? Jesus resurrected in power and in glory. Jesus ascended to heaven and is now the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And now Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. That stone that builders rejected is becoming this massive movement 
that is growing all around the world. I'm building a kingdom. It's not just one nation, but it's comprised of all people from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation that is growing and glorious and beautiful. Right now, Jesus is building his kingdom. Uh, the idea of the stone is not this. Uh, we can have confidence in the stone because it's this idea that it's, Jesus has come down into history in time and space. And right now, God is at work building his kingdom all around the world. From century after century after Jesus came, this kingdom is coming. It's growing. It's growing. And we can all experience that power today. And that is the kingdom that God calls us to. That is the hope that all of us are called to. Earlier today, I talked about this idea that anxiety is infectious. And I want to close with this idea as well, that anxiety is infectious, but so is being a person of peace. You know, Daniel was a man of peace, that Hebrew word is shalom. Everywhere that Daniel went, he was bringing the shalom of God, the peace of God. In this age of anxiety in which uh, Nebuchadnezzar is threatening everyone with death, who is Daniel? Daniel is this agent of peace, and he specifically requests and speaks in a time to save his peers, these other magicians, from dying from a certain death. He saves them, even though they were not uh, even though they didn't believe in his God, even though he could have eliminated them as rivals, Daniel saves their life. He brings peace to the city. Daniel is an agent of peace, forgiving his enemies, loving, bringing calm, bringing peace, bringing life. And this morning, I want you to think about this idea. Is your life, uh, a life of anxiety that is spreading anxiety to the people around you, your family, your coworkers, your friends? Or are you spreading the aroma of Christ? Paul talks about this idea that in Christ, we, we carry the aroma of Christ to everyone. We are agents of his peace. Is your life, does your life have that aroma? Uh, recently, I was thinking about uh, some of our friends at Union Rescue Mission. And I was thinking about Mike Weber, who passed away last year. I remember his funeral, uh, the bittersweetness of it, of, of remembering and losing him, but also the, the sweetness of Mike Weber's life. Uh, Mike, he, for anyone who knew him, he always shared his testimony about most of his life, how it was spent. He wasted most of his life either on alcohol, uh, in, on gambling, uh, using people. But the last five years of his life, uh, Mike found the Lord, or the Lord found him, redeemed him, rescued him. And he spent the last years of his life testifying. Everyone around Mike uh, was uplifted, was encouraged. He only was at our church for three years, but in those short years, he really, he really did powerful ministry. He brought powerful ministry, brought so many people. Uh, to the church, encourage so many of the staff and the people that are around him. And Mike's life is the testimony that even in a few short years, you can produce profound change in the Lord. 
that though the world threw him away, God can redeem. God redeemed him. And no matter how short our life is, we can give God glory. Uh, this morning, uh, I encourage you to be a person of peace. I encourage you to cast all of your anxieties upon the king. And maybe this is a time for you to reprioritize your life of what really matters. Because as you reprioritize your life, as you set upon a life that is built on the kingdom, God's going to relieve your anxieties. Because those things you realize don't really matter. And ultimately, your hope is going to be on something sure. Something profound. Something beautiful. Something sure. And especially in this dark time, would you be an agent of peace? testifying to the power and the goodness of God. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your kindness and goodness. Lord, we do live in an age of anxiety. And this morning, we want to just cast all of our anxieties upon you for you care for us. Pray, God, that you would call us this week to be people of prayer, people who seek your face. Give us in prayer assurance. Help us to see you are our true king. Help us to live during this time for things that really do matter. Pray, God, that we would be agents of your peace, especially in the midst of anxiety. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.